Well, there once was a version of Christianity that was fearless. Before the Bill of Rights and before the Constitution, before civil rights or religious liberties, before we had any influence over who was on the courts or any influence over the leaders of our nation, there was a version of Christianity that was fearless. And, and the people who, who lived in this generation, this generation of Christianity that was fearless, they lived in a culture that was very different from ours. Most of them didn't grow up in a Christian home. As a matter of fact, they came from all nationalities. Some of them were Jewish, some of them were Greek, some of them were Roman citizens, some of them came from other nationalities. But they grew up in a culture that at best didn't understand Christianity, and at worst, they would persecute Christians simply for their belief. There once was a version of Christianity that was fearless. These men and women in this culture, they were often abused for their faith. They were ridiculed, or they were minimized, or marginalized, or some of them were even killed. The Apostle Paul tells the story that in one city that he was beaten and left for dead because he had been preaching about Jesus. And during the reign of the Roman Emperor Nero, Christians were being thrown into the Colosseum. They were being fed to lions, and they were being killed in the gladiator games, in the gladiatorial combat. They were being persecuted and killed for their faith. It's a really remarkable time. There was once this version of Christianity that was fearless, and the history of that time is really remarkable. There was a man named Claudius Gallinus. Claudius Gallinus was a doctor and historian. He was Greek by nationality, and he wasn't a Christian. He just was someone who worked for the Roman government. And one of his jobs as, as someone who worked for the Roman government was he was the doctor who helped clean up after the gladiatorial games. He dealt with death and dying all the time. And he has this quote. This is in recorded history. This is his observation of what he saw in the Christians of the time. He said, for fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we see in these Christians every day. Now, he's not talking about just any Christians. He's talking about Christians who are facing certain death, painful death. For fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we witness in these Christians every day. When I read a quote like that and I read the history of that time, it always makes me ask a question. It's a simple question. Is the version of Christianity that I practice today Worthy of the price that they paid is the, wor is the version of Christianity that I practice today worthy of the price they paid. For fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we witness in these Christians every day. Ask yourself that question. Is the version of Christianity that we practice today worthy of the price they paid? There once was a version of Christianity that was fearless. But the story we're going to read from Scripture today, the story we're going to read today, it was not that day. This is not the day that they were fearless. So if you would, turn with me to John chapter 18. John chapter 18 is where we're going to be inside his word today. And if you would, as you're turning to John chapter 18, if you would stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to read John chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. 
John chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew, uh, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Then Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke, of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much. You can be seated. There once was a version of Christianity that was fearless, but this was not that day. This was not that day. Over the next few weeks, we're going to take a detour out of the book of James, and we're going to change our focus. We're still in the Welcome Home series because we're preparing for Easter and for the Passion Week experience, but we're going to take a detour out of the book of James to spend some time talking about the last few hours in the life of Christ. We're going to start with this moment, and if you've grown up in church, if you've been a part of church for any length of time, this is a story that you may find familiar. That We have four different eyewitness accounts of what took place. This is part of our recorded history, and so if you're a Christian today, I hope you'll pay close attention to the principles that we'll talk about, because if we can figure out how to practice the principles we can learn from this passage, I believe that it will change your life. Actually, I believe more than that. I believe if we can get this right as Christians in our community, that it will change our community. And the legend of your faith that will be written will be something that people will look back on and go, I want to be like that generation. Kind of like we do the generation I was talking about before. And if you're not a Christian and you're here with us today, or, or you're watching online, I'm so glad that you're here. Because this is a passage of scripture that reveals a truth about who we are as Christians. Maybe you have questions about Christianity. You may actually today find some of what I'm about to say pretty narrow. You might even find it a little bit offensive. And that's understandable. Uh, but, but I want to challenge you to, to listen beyond your knee-jerk reaction. Listen beyond your knee-jerk reaction because the, the principles we'll talk about apply to all of us. But more specifically than that, the, the key principle that we'll talk about today is the, is the very thing that makes Christians Christian. And so we're going to see that through the lives of all of the characters in this story. You see, all of the characters in this story except one, every one of the characters in this story, in the history that took place, recorded by eyewitnesses and, and written about by people and followed for generations, this recorded history shows us that everyone in the story except one was afraid of something. And, and I think that's just like us. I think we all have something to be afraid of. We're afraid when gas prices go up. And then we're afraid when gas prices go down. And we're afraid of what the terrorists are going to do. And then we're afraid of what our country is going to do to overcome those terrorists. Fear is just such a normal part of our lives these days. And God says, I don't intend for you to be a people who are afraid. So let's consider the characters that are inside this passage. The first person I want us to look at is Judas. 
You know who Judas is. Judas is the one who betrays Jesus. Judas was one of the inner circle. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And here's the thing about Judas that I just don't understand, and maybe you're with me in this. Judas saw Jesus. He was there when Jesus cast out demons. He was there when Jesus healed the sick. He was there when he, when he raised the dead. Judas ate the bread and the fish that Jesus miraculously produced on the day he fed the 5,000. There was another time when Jesus fed 4,000 and Judas ate that bread and those fish again. He experienced it all, yet Judas betrays Jesus. I think it reveals something true about us. You see, the, the historians, the, the, the eyewitnesses to this, they never really try to tell us what Judas's motive was. They just tell us what his actions are. And his actions prove that he's someone who is afraid. He's afraid to lose. Judas was the financial guy for the 12 disciples. The Bible tells us that he was keeping a little bit back for himself. He was, he was embezzling some money from, from that group of people. But more than that, I think Judas was afraid that he would lose his income. I think he was afraid he would lose his influence. I, was afraid, I think he was afraid he would lose his power and his prominence. And you know what I think we see in the life of Judas? Is that people who are afraid to lose, they hold on to the wrong things. In the life of Judas, we see that people who are afraid to lose hold on to the wrong things. Because Judas was afraid to lose, he betrayed the man who called him by name for 30 pieces of silver. He betrayed the man who called him by name for 30 pieces of silver. Now Judas isn't the only one who is afraid. There are others. I'm guessing that we're afraid to lose something today. I'm guessing that, that you're just like Judas at times. I know that I am. I remember when my daughter, my, first, my firstborn was born, when my daughter was born, she was born with a respiratory problem. And so she spent the first week of her life in the EOPC in, 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 at St. Francis Hospital. And when we took her home, she, we still had to give her IV antibiotics for a, a long period of time. And I can remember this day when I'm holding her and she's getting those antibiotics because there was an IV that was in, in her head. And I remember sitting there thinking, God, I don't want to lose my daughter. I don't, I don't want to lose this. And I was so afraid of what I might lose. And now she and all of her brothers are getting older. And I keep thinking to myself, as they get older, I don't want to lose this family. See, maybe you're like me. Maybe you're afraid of what you're losing. It could, you could be tempted to hold on to the wrong things and make the rules so tight and the, and, the, and, the, and the environment so horrible for your kids that they want to run away from you instead of run to you because you're holding on so tight. But one of the things I remember as I'm holding my daughter and she's receiving those IVs, those antibiotics, I remember thinking to myself, God, I can't fix this. I can't do this. I can't fix this. I'm her dad, and I can't fix this. And I remember God quietly comforting me and saying, yeah, but, but you know the one who can. God, I can't be there for my kids when they experience a broken heart. I can't be there right in the middle of it when someone is being cruel to them or someone is saying things that, that, that just aren't true. I can't be there for them in that moment. And God just comfort me, comforted me and said, yeah, but I am the Father who can. Just trust me. You see, people who are afraid to lose, 
They hold on to the wrong things. But Judas wasn't the only one who was afraid. There were Roman soldiers that were there as well. And it might sound strange that the Roman soldiers would be afraid but because there were about 300 of them. So, I mean, they're fully armored and fully armed. Why would Roman soldiers be afraid? And some of these guys are combat veterans. Well, I'm thinking, I know, I know a lot of guys who are former military or people who are police officers. These men, these Roman soldiers, they were called up in the middle of the night to come arrest someone. And all of my friends in law enforcement tell me that if you're called out in the middle of the night to go do something, something serious is just about to go down. And so here are these 300 or more Roman soldiers who show up, fully armored, fully armed, and they walk up and they ask the question, I need to, uh, we're here to arrest Jesus. Tell me who Jesus is. And Jesus steps forward and the passage tells us, the history tells us, he steps forward and with confidence he says, I am he. Now I don't know what they were expecting, but the history records that they fell back on the ground and they were afraid. They, they, were, they were afraid of the unknown. They didn't know what to expect from this man, Jesus. And when he stepped forward by the sound of his name and the declaration of who he was, I am he, they fall to the ground. 300 combat veterans, trained soldiers, afraid of a Jewish preacher. You see, I think that shows us something about ourselves. They were, they were afraid of the unknown. And people who are afraid of the unknown make uninformed decisions. Those Roman soldiers, they were afraid of the unknown. And people who are afraid of the unknown, they make uninformed decisions. Nowhere is this more evident than in the politics of our day. I mean, just think about our presidential campaign and all the politics that, that, that we have going on. Hey, I may not have all the facts, but I do have all the answers. And if you'll just ask me, I'll tell you what all the solutions for our, for our country are. I don't know if you're like me or not, but you know, just, just because I don't have all the facts, I do have all the answers. And those Roman soldiers were just like that. They didn't have all the facts, but they did have all the answers. People who are afraid of the unknown, they make uninformed decisions. The Roman soldiers, they just fell back to their training. They did what came natural. And as a result, they arrested an innocent man. People who are afraid of the unknown, they make uninformed decisions. But it wasn't just the bad guys in this story. It wasn't just Judas and the Roman soldiers who were afraid. The disciples were afraid too. You see, when the Roman soldiers come, actually before that time, Jesus had been praying with the, with the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Before that time, they had been in the upper room and they'd celebrated the Passover meal together. And Jesus, with his 12 disciples, had, had taken the, the Passover and used it as a teaching tool. He'd used it to help them understand something. Well, really, they didn't even understand it until after his crucifixion, but he, he used it as a teaching point. And then he took them to the Garden of Gethsemane and he asked them to pray. And all night long, he's praying and he's struggling and he's sweating drops of blood and he keeps going back to them because they can't stay awake. <laughs> Several times he wakes him up. Hey, please pray with me, friends. Please pray with me. And they can't stay awake. But the last time he wakes him up, they don't have any problem staying awake because there's 300 or more Roman soldiers coming. They see them coming. They hear them coming. And now they're wide awake. And they're terrified. They watch as their friend Judas betrays Jesus. They stand timidly in the background as the, as the Roman soldiers say, hey, who is this Jesus? And Jesus steps forward and says, I am he. And they fall to the ground, they fall back, they draw back and fall to the ground in fear. They're just standing timidly in the background. These same guys are just like Judas. They saw Jesus heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out demons. They ate the same bread and the same fish that Judas did. And when their faith is challenged, you know what they do? They run away. 
It's exactly what they did. In one of the accounts, in one of the accounts of what happened that night, it says one of the disciples ran away so fast that he lost all of his clothes. <laughs> Um, have any of you just want to confess right now, I have run so fast, I've, I've run away naked. Anybody done that? Isn't that a great word to say in church, naked? It's in the Bible. He ran away naked. He was so afraid. I love saying that word. It makes my kids go, don't say that word, Dad. Watch this. The disciples were these people. People who were afraid. Well, first off, they did. This is what the disciples did. They followed Jesus only as far as their fear would allow them to go. They did. They followed Jesus only as far as their fear would allow them to go. And it teaches something not just about us, but about them. People who are afraid run away when their faith is challenged. People who are afraid run away when their faith is challenged. When was the last time your faith was challenged? And what was your reaction? What was your response? Maybe it was like the disciples who ran away when their faith was challenged. Or maybe you didn't react like this. Maybe your reaction was like Peter's. You see, Peter's the next character in the story. Peter didn't run away when his faith is challenged. Instead, his fear made him do something completely different. Peter's fear made him belligerent. Peter's fear made him mean. Peter draws his sword. So he comes with Jesus. He's carrying a sword with him, and clearly he's not very good with that sword. He's carrying it with him. He, he takes the sword, and he swings it at the nearest Roman soldier, and he's trying to kill him, but he misses, and he cuts off his ear. And Jesus stops him. Jesus stops Peter. Now, the history tells us, it tells us that the name of that Roman soldier was Malchus. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be Malchus? You just got hit in the ear with a sword by a fisherman. Okay, that's a little embarrassing in the first place. But can you imagine the pain that he must have felt? Can you imagine the shock as he realizes the blood that's running down his head is his own and that he's just lost a part of himself. And then can you imagine that the man you came to arrest is the man who comes to your defense? What must it have been like to be Malchus? Not only did that man come to your defense, but he's the man with the touch of his hand and the sound of his voice who heals you and restores you. And the man with the sword crumbles in submission to his word. I can't imagine what it would be like to be Malchus. But we know that Peter, Peter was afraid. Well, his fear didn't make him run away. His fear made him belligerent. It, it made him mean. Peter was afraid to fail. He was afraid that in this moment, everything he'd been working so hard for for three years would just go away. And, and it's just like you and us, you and I. People who are afraid to fail, they hurt themselves and they hurt others. So my question for you today is, what are you afraid of? Peter was afraid to fail and as a result of it, he hurt himself and he hurt others. And the only remarkable, I mean, the most remarkable part of this story is the fact that Jesus is the one who has something to be afraid of. The only one in the story who has something to be afraid of is the one who's not afraid at all. And it's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus himself. He's about to be taken to the cruelty of the cross and the torture of the trials. And in the middle of all of that, he's the one, just a few minutes ago, he's praying and he's sweating drops of blood saying, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. 
And when the Roman soldiers come, he steps forward. He says, I am he. He stops Peter. And in that last verse, verse 11, he looks at Peter. And Peter, he says, put away your sword. Because this is the cup my father has for me. And I'm going to drink it. The only one who had something to fear was the only one who wasn't afraid. Not like us. Maybe we're afraid to lose or we're afraid to fail or we're afraid of the unknown. Maybe we run away when our faith is challenged. But here's the amazing part of this whole story. We know that Peter was afraid because just two hours later, he denies Jesus. We know he didn't swing the sword out of faith. Two hours later, he denies Jesus. His little girl comes to him and says, hey, you sound like you're from Galilee. I, I bet you knew the man. And Peter says, no, no, I didn't know him. I don't have anything to do with him. Three times, Peter denies Jesus. Three times he does it. And finally, he just breaks down. He cusses. He, no, I don't know him. And he runs off. And he's, he's just horrified at, at his lack of faith. He can't forgive himself. Peter was afraid, and we know he was afraid. His fear made him belligerent, and it made him mean. That was two hours later. But watch this. Two months later, something is completely different. Peter and James, they're in the temple. They heal a man of his sickness. They heal this man. And then they're arrested. And they're taken in front of the same high priest that put Jesus to death. They're, they're taken in front of the same court that put Jesus on the cross. It's the same group of people. It's just two months later. And Peter looks at this group. And this time, Peter's not mean. And he's not belligerent. John doesn't run away. It's actually in the histories. John, they think, is the one who may have run away naked. He ran away so fast. But neither one of these men run. Neither one of these men are belligerent. Neither one of these men are mean. They're bold and Peter looks at the high priest and he looks at the court that put Jesus to death and he says I can't help but talk about Jesus this is Jesus who you crucified and God raised from the dead and I can't help but talk about him because there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus how does a transformation like that happen? How do you go from being scared out of your mind, running away, being willing to hurt somebody because you're so afraid? How do you go from a transformation like that to standing in front of the same court just a few weeks later and saying to them, Jesus is the only way of salvation? Now, if you're not a Christian, and, or maybe you're watching online and, and you don't really know about your faith, that's the, that's the part that you might find offensive. That's the part that you might find narrow. And believe me, I understand how narrow it sounds and how crazy it must be that, that just one, there's just one way to God and that way is through Jesus. I get it. That may be the reason why you're not a Christian. Maybe one of the reasons why you're not. But, but will you listen to me for just a minute? Because there's something that happened in our history that's just true. We have it in the history books. We have eyewitness accounts of it. And it's the thing that separates those two months. It's the transformation that took place in the disciples and in Peter. Because all of those disciples who fled in that moment died for their faith in another moment. All those disciples became martyrs at some point. Those people we say, when we say there once was a version of Christianity that was fearless, it's those men that we were talking about, but not in that moment. In another moment, well, what's the thing that changed in between? Well, here's what it is. They were eyewitnesses to a man who came back from the dead. And when you know a man who comes back from the dead, anything is possible. 
They didn't have anything to be afraid of because they were eyewitnesses to the fact that there was a man who came back from the dead and compared to that, anything is possible. Why do I have to, I don't have to be belligerent anymore. I don't have to be mean anymore. I don't have to worry about what I'm gonna lose. I don't have to run away. I don't have to fear the unknown. Why? Because I know a man who came back from the dead and compared to that, anything is possible. And so, that became a version of Christianity that was fearless. It became the kind of thing that even a Greek historian, a Greek doctor could look at and say, I don't know what it is about these Christians, but for fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something I witness in them every day. These disciples, this transformation that happened when they realized that they knew a man who came back from the dead, it's not, it wasn't wishful thinking, it wasn't hopeful thinking, it's that they knew him, he died on a cross, and then he came back from the dead and they ate with him, and they talked with him, and they spoke with him, and they spent time with him, and they understood that this really is Jesus, and he's a man who came back from the dead, and compared to that, anything is possible. So what are we supposed to do with this? in this generation? How are we supposed to live our lives and our faith in this time and in this generation? Well, I have big ideas and big dreams and I, I think they're based on this idea that I know this man who came back from the dead and compared to that, anything is possible. Just imagine this with me for a minute. This is just a challenge to every one of us who's here. Imagine that we could be the generation that you and I, that in this generation and in this community, that we could be the generation to end divorce. Imagine that we could do that. Imagine that I wouldn't be afraid of what I would lose. Imagine that I wouldn't be afraid to be a faithful, to be faithful to my spouse. That, that I wouldn't be afraid to forgive when I've been wronged or to ask for forgiveness when I'm the one who's made the mistake. Imagine that I wouldn't be afraid to lose an argument in order to win the heart of my spouse. Did you, did you hear that? Imagine that I, wouldn't be able, that I wouldn't be afraid to lose an argument so that I could win the heart of my spouse. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did for us? Philippians chapter two, verses five through 11, they tell us that Jesus gave up his authority as God. He gave up his rights as a man. He gave up his reputation to be accused of a crime he didn't commit. He was convicted for the sin, for the wrong that you and I both have done. He was convicted of a crime he didn't commit. He gave up his reputation and then he gave up his life. Jesus was absolutely capable of winning every argument, but he didn't come to win arguments. Jesus came to win you. Imagine if we could be that kind of believer in our marriage. I'm not afraid to lose an argument because I'm winning. I'm working to win the heart of my spouse. It sounds impossible, doesn't it? It sounds unlikely. It sounds unbelievable. It sounds hard. Yeah, but I know a man who came back from the dead and compared to that, anything is possible. Imagine we could be the generation that actually practiced unconditional, almost irrational generosity to the people around us. What if we could actually use who we are and what we have for the benefit of others? What if we were not afraid of what someone might take away? What if instead of being afraid of what someone might take away, we would make a plan to simply give it away? Imagine how our community would be different you see, I believe that unconditional generosity is an incredible path for sharing the unconditional love of Jesus with people. What if you and I figured that out? 
It sounds hard. It sounds impossible, right? Yeah. But I know a man who came back from the dead. And compared to that, anything is possible. You know, in our, in our generation, fatherlessness is a problem. There are so many homes that grow up without fathers. Listen to these statistics. 63% of youth suicides, 71% of pregnant teens, 90% of homeless and runaway children, 85% of all youth in prison, 80% of rapists with displaced anger, 71% of high school dropouts, 75% of all adolescents in chemical abuse centers grew up in a home without a father. Imagine what it would be like if we could be the people to end fatherlessness in our community. Grant and Carly Collins, Grant's one of our children's ministers, they have an incredible story, and I hope you you have an opportunity to hear their story sometime. Grant grew up in Oklahoma City. Carly grew up here in Tulsa. Both of them grew up without a father. But that's only the beginning of their story. It's not the end. You see, there were people who came alongside them. There were men who decided they would stand in the gap. They weren't afraid to bring someone new into their home. They weren't afraid of what it would cost them. They, they practiced that unconditional, irrational generosity that I'm talking about. They weren't afraid of what they might lose. They weren't afraid of the unknown of, oh, what's it going to be like when, when we bring these new kids into our home? They weren't afraid. They weren't afraid of that. And because of that, Grant and Carly in two different communities. These men were believers. They were Sunday school teachers. And because they weren't afraid, they became a father to the fatherless. And my kids are blessed because of it. And your kids are blessed because of it. What if we could be the generation in this community to end fatherlessness? It sounds hard. It sounds irrational. It sounds impossible. Yeah. But I know a man who said he would be a father to the fatherless. And that man came back from the dead. (laughs) And compared to that, anything's possible. I believe our community needs to meet this man who came back from the dead. And I believe you believe that too. Last Sunday, we issued a challenge to everyone who was here who when you came into the room, there were blue wristbands just like these that were on every chair. And many of you, many of you uh, took the time to write the name of someone you hope will hear the gospel between now and Easter Sunday morning. Someone that you can be praying for, maybe someone that you can share with. And, and I want you to know that if you wrote someone's name on one of these bracelets, the, the, the response to it was overwhelming. And I'm just so grateful and thankful for each one of you who wrote a name. Uh, but I want you to know that you're not alone. We're in this together. And it's time for us to lean on one another. I believe our community, I believe the names of the people written on these wristbands, I believe they need to know this man who came back from the dead. And, and I believe that we have an opportunity between now and, and Easter Sunday morning to, sh- to share that with them. And so in just a moment, I'm gonna pray. And when I pray, at the end of my prayer, I'm gonna say amen. And if you would like to join in praying for these men and women, then I'm gonna ask you, as soon as I say amen, the music will start as soon as I say amen, if you would like to join in praying with these men and women, come forward and take one of these bracelets 
and then head back to your seat. Just take a bracelet and head back to your seat. I've got a couple of bracelets on myself this morning. If you've got to put the bracelet on and let this bracelet between now and Easter Sunday be a reminder to you to pray for two people. First, you're going to pray for the person who wrote the name on the tag. Pray that they would have an opportunity between now and Easter to share their story, to share their faith with the person whose name is written on the tag. Pray that they Pray that they would live a life that's so compelling that the person whose name is written on this tag, that they can't help but want to know this man who came back from the dead. That's your first prayer. Pray for the person who wrote the name. Next, pray for the name of the person who's on here. That when the time comes, that they would hear, that they would listen, that they would understand, and that they would meet this man who came back from the dead. You see, there once was a version of Christianity that was fearless. I wonder, when they write the story of our faith, I wonder if that will be the legend that they tell. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for moments like today where we can stop and we can remember the fact that Jesus, you stood in the face of everything terrifying and you were fearless. You received the punishment and penalty of our sin into yourself. You exchanged your righteousness for our sinfulness. And you died on that cross. You gave your life so that we wouldn't have to. Father, thank you so much for that. But thank you that the story doesn't end there. Thank you that, Jesus, you came back from the dead. And so I pray right now for each name that are on these bracelets. And as we come to take these bracelets, I pray that you would remind us to pray for one another as we share the gospel, as we share our stories, as we share our faith. And as these people hear the gospel, I pray that they would hear and listen, they would receive, that they would understand, and that they would meet you, the man who came back from the dead. Father, move in us now and allow us to be people who are fearless. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. And as we stand together, come take one of these bracelets and let's pray with and for one another that God would do something remarkable, that God would make us fearless in our generation.